Hey, everybody. How are you? You sure? Okay. Um, I want to welcome you to this series and to Parkview, and I'm just really excited to be a part of this. Listen, if you're uh, laying on a doctor's table and they're giving you an EKG, a test to see if you've had a heart attack, um, that's a really good time to rethink your life. If you're doing that, if you're laying on a table in a hospital in Nairobi, Kenya, receiving an EKG, that is a very good time to think about your life. I know that because that's where I was two years ago. I was in a hospital in Kenya, laying on a table while a Kenyan doctor administered an EKG to see if I'd actually had some sort of heart attack. I'd been in, a, in an office building, in a hotel actually, in a conference room, leading a retreat for a bunch of pastors. And after a hot muggy day of teaching and leading, I felt this shooting pain up my left arm and I just crumpled and so they rushed me to the emergency room. Now I know some of you are thinking, you're in the hospital in Kenya, was it like a hut and were you like biting on a stick and was there a dude with a big headdress chanting and things like that? Uh, no, it was, a, it was a hospital hospital. My doctor was actually German, he was a six foot eight guy named Dr. Von Schnachtenberg. Not even making that up. And he said, there is nothing wrong with your heart. That's what he said to me. And um, Okay, it wasn't exactly like that, but it's, that's how I heard it. <laughs> what had happened was I'd had all these great opportunities come up. Things that I got to do, to teach, to write, to travel. And I didn't say no to any of them because they were all good things. And what had happened was I was under-rested, under-hydrated, over-committed, anxious, stressed. I'd had no sleep, and my body just said... Uh-uh. And I hit the wall. And so I collapsed. I know there's some of us who have come into this room today and you can identify with that feeling. You're actually considering, maybe I should put, look at my to-do list on my to-do list. You find yourself going into rooms to do something and you get there and go, what am I here to do? Why am I here? Maybe you're at the point of saying, boy, it would be really great if there was some kind of medical crisis because at least then if my body hits the wall, my doctor can tell me to stop. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy soul. We've been talking about our souls throughout this series. And one of the things about our soul is that God has given us responsibility for it. And we can do healthy things with our soul and we can do unhealthy things with our soul. And today I want to talk about one of the unhealthy things that we do. Jesus says this about our souls. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Notice he doesn't say you lose it. He says you trade it. You give it up. You forfeit it. See, because every good thing in our life is a trade-off. It's true, right? If you want a good marriage, you really have to stop dating other people. <laughs> if you didn't know that, there's a, there's a newsflash for you. If you want a good marriage, you've got to stop playing the field. If you want a good relationship with your children, with your spouse, you have to learn how to sometimes give up what you want for what they want. Every good thing in our life is a trade-off. And that's the same thing with what we're going to talk about today. Today... We're going to talk about rest. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> really should have practiced. Let's consider this image. This treadmill is, is an image for our life. 
okay? We all have things that we're responsible for, family, jobs, stuff that keeps us moving. And ultimately, this stuff is good. Like, your job is good for the most part. Your family is good. These are things that you have that God has given you to manage, and they're always going. They're constantly going. Your pace might be different from other people. This is always happening. Here's the problem. So we're here in our life, and we're going, and then we look over, and then we're like, well, I like what that guy has. I like his pace. So we begin to crank it up a little bit, and our pace begins to quicken. We add responsibilities. We add hours at work, because if I work just a little bit more, I can have what that person has. And we keep focusing straight on. And now we can't really look at them, because you know, if you look over there, you're going to, you know, fall off. So you don't want to do that. I had a friend, actually, who was in the gym, and he was on the treadmill, and he looked over, and there happened to be a, a woman here who was just cruising. I mean, she was running so fast, and he got that, guys, whatever that is in us that says, uh-uh, we ain't having that kind of thing, kind of rose up in him. And so he jacked the speed up until he was finally running as fast as she was. Let's just say the next day he couldn't walk. <laughs> so that's what happens. We see other people in the pace of their life and what they have, and we start to jack the speed up a little bit. And then all of a sudden we find that we're in this place that we can't keep it going. And we start to think, okay, either this thing has to break or I have to break. Somebody's got to say no because my soul is coming apart at the seams. We feel like there's only one or two options. We either, we're either crushed by the expectations or this thing falls apart. But actually, the funny thing is there is a third option. And here's what it looks like. We can step on the sides. We can get off the moving belt and we can take a deep breath, and we can rest, and we can breathe, and we can get our bearings again. The good news that I have for your soul today is this. We can actually choose rest for our souls. There is another option other than just keeping up with the frantic pace that we've made or going into some sort of health shock. There is another option. We can choose to rest, which is what I'm going to do right now. Jesus, when he calls us to be his disciples, to be his followers, this is what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, I don't know if you came in here with, if you came in with no relationship with God at all, we are so excited that you're here. You may not know about theology, you may not know about any of this God stuff or church stuff, but I imagine all of us know the neighborhood that we call weary. All of us have been there. We've had a time in our life where we're not just tired, it's a tired that's in our bones. Our souls, our hearts, our deepest core places are exhausted. And if that's us, there's a Jesus that we teach and we know who says, come and rest. You've been walking at 100 miles an hour on the treadmill with the weight of the world on your shoulders, and that's not what I had in mind for you. The good news is, step on the sides, take a deep breath and rest. Because in our culture today, rest is an issue. And God cares about us, and he cares about our souls, so it's an issue for him as well. A friend of mine named Steve Carter was preaching to a high school assembly. And there were about 700 students, and then a bunch of teachers and staff members who were there. And he, he did this little exercise. He said, all right, anybody who has been touched by addiction, whether it's someone in your family, or you yourself have suffered by, through addiction, or have had an addiction, would you stand up? And when he did that, a hundred people in the room stood up. He said, okay, sit down. 
He said, now, how many of you have been affected by cancer? You've had someone in your family or you yourself have suffered through or battled through cancer. And 200 people in the room stood up. He said, okay, sit down. And then he said, how many of you are exhausted today? You are anxious. You're struggling. You are in pain because of the expectations your life has put on you. Every person in the room, including teachers and staff, stood up. Rest, rest is an issue. And if it's an issue for our souls, it is an issue for God as well. And he actually has a solution to this. So I want to take you through something the Bible teaches way back in the beginning in the book of Exodus. In Exodus, the people of God are in slavery. They're in slavery to a Pharaoh who wants them to build all of his kingdom. His buildings, everything that he has on the building project plan, he wants them to take care of it. And so they're working impossible hours. They're not getting any breaks. And if they do slack off, there's a big uh, guard there with a stick ready to crack it down on the back of their head. Now, I know I may have just described some of your jobs. I apologize if I did that, but you may feel that way about your job sometime. But these guys had no breaks. They weren't working. They were slaves. And so when that moment comes when we feel like there's too much and we have no break and no margin and we can't breathe, they begin to cry out to God. God, you have to do something. And so God sends a man named Moses who rescues them from slavery and leads them out into the desert. Now, if you've never been to the desert or you haven't been for a while, there are not very many Costco's in the desert. Nor are there jewel Oscos or anything like that. There's, they're facing a real problem because now they've escaped slavery, but they're in the desert. And they're likely to starve. And they're thinking, if we don't get food soon, if we don't get water soon, we're going to die out here. Not to mention, the Egyptians behind them are not happy about losing their labor pool. And so they've got on their horses and in their chariots, and they are chasing after the Israelite people. And so they get into the middle of the wilderness, and I don't know if you've had this feeling, like your life is basically, you feel like you're in between a, an army that's chasing you and starvation that seems to be coming. And you feel like, I've got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. I've got to work harder, go faster. And in the middle of that, this is what the people say to Moses. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Get, get this, they would rather stay and get beaten and work unbelievable hours than be free and be scared. Because the reality is for us today, sometimes the slavery we know is better than the freedom we don't know. We feel like it would be better to be a slave to this pace, to be falling apart at the seams, than to be free. Because if we were free, who are we? If I'm not busy, who am I? If I judge my value to the world based on what I do, who am I if I stop? If I take a break? If I take a breath? Busyness is no longer a state of being. It becomes an identity. You ask people how they are, they say, busy. We've gotten so addicted to busyness and hurry that it's now become our identity. And if we are free from that, who would we be? Who would we be? And so Moses to that people speaks very clearly. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You're in the middle of an army and starvation. All you need to know is the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The best thing you can do right now is not freak out, but to simply be still. 
Because you are not qualified to take care of the situation that you're in. If we are in that spot today, if we're in the desert, we feel like we're in this place where there's this army chasing us and starvation coming at us, in that moment God says, just take a deep breath. You can't fix this. Step on the sides. Just be still. I got this one. I created the earth. I can take care of you today. It's an amazing message. So if you came in anxious today, if you came in irritated, if you came in overwhelmed, the message God has for you today is this. Just be still. Just take a breath. I got this. And not only does he say that, he also teaches us and people then and people now how we do this. And he does that by giving the people a gift. And that gift is something called Sabbath. The word Sabbath in the Hebrew just means to cease, to rest, to take one day, one period of time, and trade work for rest. Because remember what we said, every good thing that happens in our life is a trade-off. You know, if you see that person who's super-duper fit, and you go, man, I really want to be like them. And you go and talk to them, and you find out they get up really early in the morning, and they don't eat the stuff that you really like. And then you go, man, I love sleeping donuts. Um, <laughs> not worth it. This law, this Sabbath, is a moment where God says, I want you for this one day. Work all six days. Work is good. The treadmill, some of it is good. But on that seventh day, I want you to cease and desist. I want you to step on the sides. I want you to take a breath. I want you to simply be still. You need this. So just stop and be still. And then Moses says something curious about Sabbath. He says, bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So it's a law, but it's a gift. How many times do we see a speed limit sign and go, what a gift. I'm so thankful for that. How can a law be a gift? A law can be a gift when it sets you free. Because what he's telling the people is that slaves don't get to choose when they work and when they don't. You're not slaves anymore. Because our pace, our slavery comes when we get so locked in here, we don't think there's another choice. If I don't do this, I won't do anything. If I don't do this, what will happen to me? He's saying, you're not a slave anymore. Be free this day. Celebrate it. Stage a revolution against the world of busyness you work in and say, today I will cease and desist. I will step on the sides. I will take a deep breath. I will just be still. It's an amazing gift that God gives us. So much so that the Ten Commandments, the big ones, right? Right up there with don't kill and don't steal is this one. Remember the Sabbath day. By keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. We are a Sabbath shaped people. From the beginning, we were meant to work and rest. From the beginning, we were meant to live as if God was in control. That is a new story. And that's the kind of story that for us in a culture that value, values busyness over everything else, if somebody asks you how you are and you don't say busy, they go, dude, what a slacker. Like, I got windows you can wash in my house. There's stuff you can do. In that kind of culture, Sabbath is this countercultural, revolutionary kind of thing. And ultimately, it boils down to this. We have to come to the place where we really do believe that Sabbath is greater than slavery. Sabbath is greater than slavery. Whatever it takes to keep this going, it's nowhere near as good as stopping and resting being still 
taking a deep breath and knowing God's got it. God is in control. God is in charge. Now, there's an American writer named Letty Kalman. And Letty was traveling through Africa with this tribe who was guiding her because she didn't know where she was going. So before they started, she said, listen, I don't have much time at all. What I want to do is see as much of Africa as I possibly can in the short time that I have. And so she pushed this tribe. And the first day they were out, they went forever. They covered so much distance, so much territory. And she saw so many amazing things. And they got to the end of the day and she felt so good about the speed at which they'd seen everything. And so they went to sleep and they got up the next morning. She got ready and she was like, all right, let's do it again. And all the tribal guys were sitting and they wouldn't get up. And she said, let's go. And they're like, no, no, no. And she said, but it's, it's time to go. They're like, no. And so she goes to her translator and says, what's going on? I mean, I hired these guys to take me and now they don't want to go. And he said, oh, madam, Madam, you pushed them so hard yesterday, they're just sitting down waiting for their souls to catch up with them. I wonder how much of the issues in our life are related to the fact that it's not that our souls are unhealthy, we just don't know where they are. They're in the rearview mirror somewhere in Skokie. We don't know where they are. We've lost track of them. And so this moment, God says, cease and be still so you can wait and let your soul catch up to you. How can it be healthy if it isn't even with you in this moment? And so it's an amazing thing because I understand that there are parts of our life, there are seasons in our life, and you may be going through that today. There are parts of our life where we have to be busy. If you're a CPA, January to April, you have to be busy, and I thank you for that. If you have a family member who is ill and you're taking care of them, sometimes there's a busy season like that and you have to be busy. But listen, if it never ends... It's not a season. People talk a lot about Duncan Keith last year for the Blackhawks in the playoffs. How he was like a cyborg and he skated more minutes than anybody else in the playoffs. How he couldn't be stopped and how the guy just kept skating and kept skating. Do you know what? Eventually he stopped skating because the season ended. It's not like all summer long he was just skating the whole time. Like all winter long, all fall long. It's not. He stopped at some point because he knew this was a season. It had to end at some point. If you're going through a busy season and that season has never ended, it's not a season. It's slavery. It's not a season. It's slavery. And as we are learning from this text and what God is teaching us is that Sabbath is so much greater than slavery. Sabbath is so much greater than slavery. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, Casey, I get that. Um, That's why I go on vacation every year. Let me ask you, if you go on vacation for a week, how many days of that week do you use just to slow down? Like the first three days for me are pretty much lost because I'm like, I can't stop. And then the fourth day, I feel good. And then by the sixth day, it's time to go home. Like vacation is not rest. Vacation is rehab. By that point, you have already hit the wall. You've already done your 2020 interview. You've already got the photos on TMZ. You are going in for help at that point. And this is why God is so incredibly smart with this practice, this habit of Sabbath, because he knew we needed something regularly to shape our lives around it. Sabbath is not a happening. It's a habit. It's something that we craft into our life as we live it. Because taking a vacation as rest is just like debt. We borrow now, we'll pay it off later, but you and I both know we never pay it back. We can't. And that's why God said every time 
you work, you work this cycle, this season, when you come to the end of it, you've got to stop. It's good for your souls. It's good for the souls of the people around you, but we'll get into that in just a second. Now, you may be asking, is it still a law? You know, there are a lot of laws out there, and you may say, well, Sabbath's still a law. It's not. Jesus changed what Sabbath looked like. But just because it's not a law does not mean it isn't wise. There are a lot of things we live by that aren't laws, but they're really, really wise. The wisest thing we could do is learn how to work and rest and trade whatever it takes in order to get that rest period because we desperately, desperately need it. Jesus is talking to some religious people who they're all about Sabbath being like, check the boxes. If you check all the right boxes, you've done it and you're good. But Jesus says this to them. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying to them is, you've forgotten what this thing is. You have made something good into slavery. The Sabbath is a gift. It's for you. You're supposed to use it. You're supposed to love it. You're supposed to take that and make it a way that you learn how to trust God more and you learn how to restore your soul in the busyness of life in which you live. You learn how to no longer be a slave. You've forgotten how good that could be. Instead of checking all the boxes, maybe it's time that you just unplugged from legalism. We're not very good at that. Here's some of the other things that rest does. One of the things rest does is rest reminds us of who God is and who we are. It is a moment where we stop and say, God is God and I am not, and that's pretty clear. Because what you know is if you unplug for a little while, the belt keeps moving. Your life keeps going. People in your life keep happening to you and around you. Those things keep going. And we get this feeling in our head sometimes that if I stop doing things, the planets are going to fall out of alignment. Like if I stop working, it's because of me that everything is still going on. And then we rest, and then we come back, and we're like, huh, everything's fine. I guess I'm not really in charge. And God says, yeah, you're right. I've always been in charge. And one of the places when I begin to see us as human beings, as followers of Jesus, and when I myself begin to lose track of life is when I've lost the ability and the practice and the habit of resting. Even in the Bible, listen to what it says. When people start falling apart, it's because they rejected my laws and did not follow my decrees and desecrated my Sabbath. This is God talking. For their hearts were devoted to their idols. The reality of rest is this. Whatever we do with rest, is a statement about what we believe about God. If we're unwilling to rest, we believe that we are Him. Because if we're God, we need to be active because the world's got lots of problems. But if we're not Him, then we can step back and let God be God, which He's going to do anyway. We're kidding ourselves if we think we're that powerful. What we do on that rest day is say, I can stop I can lean into this beautiful God that I see in the Bible. Listen to how God is described. It says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God does not need a nap. We do. God is not a slave. Sometimes we are. God is in control. We are not. And so Sabbath is just that wonderful day where we get to state that with our lives. We get to rest and know that we're taken care of. Just because we're not on duty does not mean God is sleeping in a chair like an old security guard. 
We are being cared for and loved and provided for even when we rest, and especially because we rest. Plus, remember who this person is that we're talking about. Before God ever commands anyone to do anything in the Ten Commandments, listen to what he says. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Let me ask you, if God can free a million people from slavery, do you think he can take care of the treadmill that is your life? Do I believe he can take care of all the things that go on in my world, my family, my job, my inner world? Do I believe that God can really care for those things? Who is this God that says, take a break, stand on the sides, take a deep breath, and just be still? I've got this. Because I was wired to do it. You weren't. And you're not any good at it anyway. God says, step back and rest. And it also teaches us how to wait. Scripture says this, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. How good are we at waiting? We're all good. Other people, though, are not good at waiting. All of us are solid on it. If you want to know, if you want to do a little experiment to see how good the people around you are at waiting, go to a stoplight like a right-hand turn, let the light turn green, and then don't do anything. Look in the rearview mirror and receive the judgment upon you. Yeah, that's a good sign. We're not good at waiting. And some of Sabbath, some of this rest is about learning how to wait on God because you can't force it. And what happens is we realize there are people we live with and they're wonderful. We just haven't had the time to pay attention to them. So we wait. When we wait, we learn how to listen. When we wait, we chew a little slower. We breathe a little slower. Our lives settle down. And suddenly we realize, wow, stuff I was all jacked up about is not all that important. And we wait, and we wait. We become patient in that moment, and we wait on God to take care of us. It's an amazing promise that he gives us. So, the other thing we learn about rest is that rest helps us to see life clearly. When I do counseling, a lot of times the first thing I'll ask is, how much sleep have you had lately? You'd be amazed what kind of chaos you can avoid if you just sleep for eight hours. Now, for some of us, that's a pipe dream because you have newborns. I understand. It's a season. It's a season. It will pass. But our bodies start to rebel against us if we don't sleep as adults for at least eight hours. They start to actually... Our body chemistry actually fights back against us. Doctors have shown that our body starts to produce the stress hormone cortisol. It causes us to build up fat, and it causes us to be really angry and snippy with each other. Isn't it amazing that God would line up with medical science? How about that? You need rest. You need sleep. You need to see clearly that half of your problems are because you've been sleeping three hours a night because you just got to finish that last episode of Breaking Bad. I know, I get it. But when we learn to rest like that, we start to understand God may actually have a clue how our bodies function. Listen to what scripture says about him. He says, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know what I need for my heart, soul, mind, and strength to be at full power. I have to rest. And so you commanded it and said, this is a gift. Think about this. God is commanding us to sleep. How good is that? <laughs> so how do we do this? One of the things I know about Sabbath is that it's not just about us. 
Because if you're on a treadmill, and if you've ever watched people at the gym, they focus, if they're going really fast, they focus straight ahead. Because they know, and they've watched on the internet, what happens when you turn and look this way when you're going really quickly. If you don't believe me, go to YouTube, search treadmill fails. What you will find is 99% of the time, it's a guy running at high speed, attractive woman walks in, he looks this way, and the next thing he knows, he's on his ear in the corner. When you are going 100 miles an hour this way, you cannot look this way. And so maybe we need to stop and look at that for a second. Dads, if you're struggling with your kids, it's probably not because they're evil. I mean, they might be, but it's probably not because of that. It might be because you're going so fast this way, you have no time for them. God has given us a command that would settle us together so that we have the time to listen to these people in our lives. If there's fracturing in your marriage and your relationships, maybe it's not because they're all evil and out to get you. Maybe it's because you're going 1,000 miles an hour this way, and if you look this way, you know you're going to fall. Maybe it's time to step on the sides and look over and go, well, who are you? How long have you been here? What do you do around here? Rest helps us to see that clearly. So if we're going to do this, there are some practical steps we have to take. First, we have to pick a time. We have to pick a time. If, it, if you're like me, if it's not on my calendar, it's not happening. And Scripture is very clear about this, and it gives us some incredible wisdom about picking a time. Listen to what Psalm 90 says. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What it says is you've got to be wise about this, and no, you can't just do it on the fly. Like, I can't just wake up and tell my family, hey, today's my Sabbath day. And they go, but you got yard work to do. And I'm like, no, God commanded it. Take it up with him. I can't do anything today. I'm useless to you. This is a family affair. You've got to get everybody, the whole team on board. So if you have kids, you've got to start talking to them about there's some stuff you can't do for us to have this moment. And I know a lot of us don't want to say no to our kids, but you've got to realize you're saying yes to their souls too. We sit around and we say, here's the day, this is coming, we've got to plant a flag because we're all falling apart, we're all angry, we're all irritable, we're all bitter, we're posting horrible things on Facebook, it's time to shut it down. It's time to take a breath. We've got to mark it out. Second thing we have to do, and it doesn't have to be Sunday, by the way, if you're wondering, it doesn't have to be a Sunday that you do Sabbath. Some people, it's got to be a Monday, it's the day that you have at hand. Second thing we have to do is we have to unplug we have to unplug. Asking people to give up their devices, I know you'd rather fast for a month than give up your device. I totally understand that. I do. But there's something that happens to us when we're connected. Science is showing that your blue light from your smartphone actually shuts down your brain's production of melatonin. If you know what melatonin is, it's the stuff that makes you sleep. So when that blue light hits your face, it means, hey, we're going. So if you're laying in bed looking at your phone, you might as well just not even be there. Might as well get up and haul around the house a little bit because your brain thinks you're going to be up for another hour or so. We've got to put those things away. And plus, for most of us, there are real people in our lives that would love to have some time with us. Not the virtual people who only pick pictures of the good stuff they're eating. There are real people who need us. Plus, most of us get our email from work on our phones, and it is so easy for us to get sucked back into the cycle. Oh, i got to answer just this one. And then an hour and a half later, we're gone. Do not disturb. Turn it off. Put it away. Find the real people in your life. Sabbath, rest from connection. Third thing, and the most helpful thing, is that we have to do things that give us life. 
This is the one I fail at the most because I have an addictive personality and I love video games. And one of the things that drains me is Madden Mobile Football on my iPad. And I will get sucked in and an hour will go by and I won't even remember it's gone. So part of it for me is doing things that give me life and setting that apart, not just because it's a device, but because it drains me. When we do Sabbath, we should do things that give us life back. We should rest. We should nap. We should take a long walk. We should read a book that we love. We should watch a movie that makes our guts hurt from laughing so hard. We should have our best meal of the week on the Sabbath day. And I've heard a rumor, calories do not count on the Sabbath. <laughs> it's in the Hebrew. It's okay. You can find it later. Have your best meal of the week that day. Make it a celebration. Make it a tradition. Make it something that gives you life in return. Because that's what we need. If we're going to come back to our lives, which, by the way, are still going, if we're going to come out of rest and back to our lives, we have to be restored enough to handle what's coming next. Eric Liddell is a legendary runner. He's an Olympic runner in the 20s. And you may know his story from the movie Chariots of Fire. One of the legendary stories about Eric Liddell is that he wouldn't run a championship race on a Sunday because he said it's the Sabbath. It's the day I give to the Lord. It's the day I rest. I won't even compete on a Sunday. It was an amazing thing. He was such a person of faith. He often said that I feel God's pleasure when I run. But there was a story about Eric Liddell I didn't know until I did some research on it. He was actually a part of an internment camp in China in World War II called YCN. YCN was a dark and brutal place filled with attack dogs, starvation, unclean, unsanitary living situations, and he was placed in this camp during the course of the war. While he was there, everyone around him knew who he was, and so they put him in charge of the exercise and the games that they did inside this internment camp. This was not a happy place to be. This was the valley of the shadow of death. But even in that place, Eric stood firm to one conviction. He said, even in here, we are not doing anything on a Sunday. We are going to rest. We are going to cease because God has said we're not slaves anymore. Even in the middle of this dark and lonely moment, and maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're in the middle of a dark moment because you don't know if you can stop or not, and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to be able to deal with who you are if you're not busy. Even in the middle of that, like Eric Liddell in this camp, he said, I have to cease. Even in slavery, even in darkness, we're going to rest. We're going to do a little act of revolutionary work. And say, God is God and we don't have to do a thing. We are not slaves anymore. Because as we know now and as we'll continue to know going forward, Sabbath is always greater than slavery. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful because you have called us to rest. We're grateful because you have called us to a place where we don't have to be slaves anymore. And some of my friends in this room, they've been living at that pace for so long that they've, they've lost track of even who you are. They've lost track of their families. They've lost track of their own souls. And now they're at this place of saying, I don't know who I would be if I wasn't going at it a thousand miles an hour. I don't know who I would be if I actually had a day to do nothing, to just be, to gain life back instead of giving it away. And I pray right now that your spirit would be sweet to them. 
that you would comfort them and say, just be still. Step on the sides. You can say no. It's time for you to stage a revolutionary move against a culture of busyness that doesn't care about their souls. Inspire them, God. Inspire them right now where they are to write down a day. This is when we are going to plant our flag, when we are going to rest, when we are going to celebrate the fact that we're not slaves, we're free. Encourage them. Bless them as they say no to their families, as they set aside time, as they break things apart that have been in place for such a long time. Bless them with the strength and the ability to do that and help us all to be convinced and convicted and driven by the idea that Sabbath is always greater than slavery. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.